Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Welcome back to the Medicus podcast. We're so glad you could join us in listening to this episode. This is Mara. I'm a current M4 student, um, and I'm here with my co-host, Monica. Since this is your first episode, Monica, um, would you be able to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an M1 student. Um, it's good to be here on Medicus. I just graduated from Loyola University Chicago undergrad, and I'm excited to get to know everyone and get involved. Yeah, we're glad to have the help. We are joined by our guest for this episode, Dr. Shahid. I got to know him through his role as our pediatrics clerkship director, and he is here to have a discussion with us about emotional intelligence. So with that, I would love for you to introduce yourself and go ahead and introduce the topic of emotional intelligence. Maybe tell us what it is and how you have become interested and so knowledgeable about it. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for the opportunity to uh, share my thoughts and experience on emotional intelligence. As you said, I'm a general pediatrician uh, here at Loyola. So I do uh, a lot with the, with the medical students and I'm also very active in our residency program in pediatrics. I was a residency director for seven years from 2011 to 2018 here at Loyola. And now for the last couple of years, I've been a student clerkship director then uh, a pediatric hospitalist. So I do a lot of inpatient pediatrics uh, as well. Just a little uh, background about myself and how I got interested in emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, when I was uh, asked to be residency director uh, back in uh, 2011 here at Loyola, I quickly realized that I had not gotten a lot of leadership training along the way, as is pretty common uh, for most medical students and residents and physicians. They're asked to take on leadership roles uh, without having a lot of experience in training. So I was asked to take on that role and quickly realized that I need to do something to make myself a more effective leader um, and uh, kind of looked into leadership courses and read some leadership books and stumbled across the topic of emotional intelligence because that was a common topic that was always discussed in these leadership courses and leadership workshops. Um, and that's how I kind of uh, started to learn more about emotional intelligence as I was trying to improve my own leadership skills and my own emotional intelligence. Since then, I've been gotten, gotten a lot more involved with teaching emotional intelligence now to, to the residents and students because I think it's a skill that needs to be taught in uh, graduate medical education and undergraduate medical education as well. So you say emotional intelligence is a skill. Could you explain a little bit more about that? What what does having this skill entail? Um, does everyone have this skill? So first of all, I think the point that it's a skill is very important because that means that you can improve your emotional intelligence. You can uh, get training and education uh, to help improve different areas of emotional intelligence. And you know you can measure emotional intelligence. So you can measure someone's emotional quotient, just like you can measure someone's IQ. You can actually measure someone's EQ by having them take validated uh, uh, self-assessments and survey tools. Uh, so EQ or, or uh, emotional intelligence is different than IQ because you're born with a certain IQ and you can't really change that. But your EQ can be changed and it can be improved because, as I said, emotional intelligence is a skill that can be developed, can be taught, that can be trained. So I think it's really important to keep that uh, in mind. And emotional intelligence in general is uh, is basically, I like to think of it as as having the intelligence to know that your emotions affect you and they affect others around you. Um, and that's important because your emotions really affect your behavior and your interactions with others and your ability to build relationships with others. 
So I think that's what uh, emotional intelligence is all about. And I think uh, developing that skill, especially as a healthcare provider and as a, as a physician or future physician, I think is very important because taking care of patients and interacting with your nursing staff, your ancillary staff, your hospital staff is all about being able to build strong relationships and emotional intelligence allows you to be able to develop those relationships. So it, would you say that's kind of a, a definition of emotional intelligence that you would go off of, or is there a definition that you go off of? Yeah, I think that's kind of the definition. Basically, it's your ability to understand your emotions um, and manage your emotions and understand how those emotions affect you and others around you as you are basically building uh, strong relationships with other people. That's the goal of emotional intelligence is to be able to build strong relationships with other people so you can work effectively as a team, so you can communicate effectively with everyone around you, and especially if you're the leader of the team, to be able to lead the team effectively then. Got it. So if you were going to measure someone's, um, do we say EQ as emotional intelligence? Is that, mm-hmm. is that standard? If you're going right. to measure someone's EQ, is there a standard way to do that? So there's several validated assessment tools that are available, and there's others that are not as validated. They're kind of free. You can find them and things, uh, and they give you an idea of what your emotional intelligence level might be. But the, the validated tools, there's several of them that are available, and I've actually uh, taken a a training course and I am credentialed in being able to use and deploy and uh, work with uh, one of the validated emotional tools, emotional intelligence tools that are out there. So I've been able to uh, use that with our students and our residents and and do various studies here at Loyola uh, using that uh, specific tool as well then. Can you give us an example of how you use emotional intelligence or these tools when you're working with students? Um, Yeah, you know, I think you know, when, with working with learners, I think it's important to uh, help them identify when, uh, when an interaction is going well or when an interaction is maybe not going so well. So I think it's related to um, maybe the competency of professionalism from a medical student or from a, a resident perspective, um, because a lot of times when somebody lacks emotional intelligence, it gets perceived as a lapse in professionalism because they have some sort of interaction with another person that comes across as, you know, disrespectful or condescending or, you know, somehow uh, not, not ideal. And a lot of times, you know, learners, students, residents, practicing physicians are not even aware of the fact that they are coming across that way. So trying to teach self-awareness and being able to recognize that um, you're being perceived that way uh, during the interaction is the first step. And once you have that awareness, that allows you to then manage your emotions, which is the second component of emotional intelligence is self-management. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it fits directly in with with the skills that someone would need in order to build those strong relationships with their patients or with their colleagues. Let's review what the different components are. I want to make sure I have a good grasp on what are the the components that you mentioned about emotional intelligence. Um, And I'm wondering a little bit about, are some people stronger in some components versus others? How can you recognize which components you might need to work on yourself? So again, there's a few different models that, that are out there. So Daniel Goleman and others, I've used the model uh, with the four components of emotional intelligence of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and social skill. So briefly uh, to review each one of those. So so self-awareness is being aware of your emotions and how they affect you and others around you. Um, And basically the idea, I think, you know, I like to summarize that up in the idea that emotions are contagious, right? So whatever the mood is that you're coming in with, you potentially are going to change the mood of everyone else around you, especially if you're the leader of that team. If you're the senior resident, if you're the attending, if you're the, you know, the, uh, the, the office manager or whoever you are, if you're showing up and you're angry and 
and you're negative and you're bitter, right? That's going to affect the mood and morale of everyone that's around you, right? But if you're showing up to work and you're happy and you're smiling and you're saying good morning to everyone and you're asking how everyone's doing, you're upbeat and you're optimistic and you're positive, that has a very different effect on everyone else around you and their mood and their morale. So you kind of set the tone, especially if you're the leader of the team, you set the tone of everyone else around you. So self-awareness is being aware of the fact that your emotions are going to really set the tone and the mood of everyone else around you and the entire team around you, especially if you're the leader of that team. So that's, uh, so that's self-awareness. Self-management is being able to manage your emotions um, and uh, really kind of control your, your feelings. So self-control is part of that. So when you feel yourself getting angry or upset and frustrated, you're able to kind of slow down and you don't start yelling at someone in the middle of the hallway. You don't start humiliating someone and screaming at someone. You're able to, to rein in your emotions. And you kind of think of it as you don't want your emotions to be hijacked, right? You want to be in control of your emotions. You want to be able to manage your, uh, your, your emotions. So that's self-management. The social awareness is being aware of how you socially interact with others and how those interactions are being perceived by others. So again, recognizing that our body language, our nonverbal cues uh, are our communication. Um, and social awareness in both directions. So you are picking up on the body language and nonverbal cues of the other person, but they're also picking up your body language and your nonverbal cues. And what are the messages that are being given uh, through that? And there are studies uh, in the, from the past, actually there's a very famous study from 1972, uh, Dr. Moravian, he uh, found that 55% of our communication is based on our body language. So more than half of our communication is our body language. Um, and it's actually the uh, seven, what is it called? The 738-55 rule. 55% of our communication is body language and nonverbal cues. 38% is our voice and tone of voice. And 7% is the actual choice of words that we uh, end up choosing. So much of our interaction is, is our tone of voice and our uh, nonverbal cues. So that's part of social awareness and how you are uh, coming across others and the perception you are, are giving to others. And then the last component is social skill. So that's, again, just being able to interact with people in a positive way to be able to build strong relationships with them, be able to communicate effectively. And that's just kind of doing the common courtesy thing, right? Saying please and thank you and you know, being kind and being courteous and being respectful, and listening to others um, and valuing others. So that's all uh, part of a uh, social skill. So I think those, again, are the four components of emotional intelligence. And as you were asking, when you take your own self-assessment, um, many times somebody might be higher in one or two components and be lower in, in, uh, in one of the other components. So I, so I do think it's important for everyone to be aware of and recognize what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. You know, maybe you're, you uh, have good self-management skills so you can be in control of your emotions, but then uh, you're, you're not very socially aware. So your body language gives off a very different message than uh, what you were intending to. So yeah, so I think it is important to, to know where you are in each one of those areas of uh, social awareness uh, and, and overall emotional intelligence, because it can vary and you could be high in one area and lower in the, in the other area. When you mentioned body language, it made me think about putting all this in the context of um, the healthcare that we're practicing right now, where we don't have patients' families in the hospital, we're having to, to interact like a lot of it, not face-to-face, -face. You're, you're missing out on like, I think you said 55% um, of your communication through body language. I think maybe that's an interesting way to think about how you can maximize on your other, your other skills, communication skills in this time where you don't always get to have someone right in front of you uh, to have these important conversations. Yeah, right. So your choice of words and uh, the tone of voice that you're using is, 
is uh, is very is very different. And now also, you know, with all the remote learning and the interviews being on Zoom and things like that, right? The body language is not there anymore, right? The person not sitting in front of you. So uh, so on Zoom, you almost have to exaggerate your body language, right? You gotta nod your head even more and smile even bigger and show your hands a little bit more and and you know show and demonstrate your your passion and your excitement in that interview uh, process so so yeah so the body language we don't realize how important it is until we are doing remote discussions and remote conversations where the body language is not even there and now we have to rely on our, our choice of words and our and our tone of voice to impart that uh, that message yeah it's hard work but uh, i'm inspired i can see how working on this can really make a difference it definitely can and i think it's such an important skill that uh all physicians you know should have and you know, it should be taught as part of residence training. And I, I'm a strong believer that it should actually be taught even before that in undergraduate medical education, if not, uh, if not sooner, because I think it's a, a very important skill. And I think that's a difference, uh, in my mind, the difference between a great doctor and a good doctor is that level of emotional intelligence, because that's how a patient sees it. And they, they know, you know, they know, they know the doctor is good, but they can recognize that when it, when their doctor is a great doctor, it's because of that difference in emotional intelligence that they can they can feel in their interactions because of the bedside manner and the rapport and the trusting relationship they're able to build uh, you know with their physician. Yeah, that's so true. I think there have been like numerous studies that support that the perception that people have of how good their doctor is it doesn't even really have to do with how great they made the diagnosis or anything like that. It, it has a lot more to do with how they communicate. Right. And I know uh, I, I do different lectures and talks with different uh, physicians and learners and things like that. But, and I vividly remember I was, I was giving a talk a couple of years back uh, to a large group of physicians and I was invited to give, a, uh, give this emotional intelligence talk. And there's um, about 100 people in the room. And it was like, it was like they were celebrating like uh, National Doctors Day and they were all getting together and, and they give awards to this large uh, group of uh, physicians that they all work together. They, there was an award called a patient choice award. And they actually had one of the patients come up and present an award, you know, to their, to their doctor. So I give my lecture, right. About emotional intelligence. And there's one woman sitting in the audience who's totally into my talk, right. She's smiling. She's nodding her head. You know, I'm using my EI and, and seeing her nonverbal cues and body language. I can tell she's totally into my talk, right. She's laughing at my jokes. She's, she, she's totally into it. Right. And then when it's time to give these awards, it turns out she's actually a patient that is going to come up and present, give word to their doctor, to her doctor. And she starts to tell her story and says, you know, I want to give my, my, you know, Dr. Smith, I want to present this award to her because she's such a great doctor. And she tells a story about, um, as a patient, how, you know, she was actually um, a drug addict and uh, was on the streets and nobody was listening to her. All the doctors were dismissing her as drug seeking, but then Dr. Smith listened to her. Dr. Smith took good care of her. Dr. Smith, you know, helped her turn her life around and she tells her story and she says, you know, and, and you know what makes Dr. Smith such a great doctor? And she looks at me, she looks right at me and says, because she has emotional intelligence. So the, so the, her as the patient was recognizing that what made Dr. Smith the, the, a special doctor was the fact that she had emotional intelligence. So maybe before my talk, she didn't realize it was emotional intelligence. She has it as bedside manner and rapport and, you know, relationship and things like that. But then when I packaged it that way, she recognized that, wow, Dr. Smith, she has EI, she has emotional intelligence. That's what makes her such a great doctor. So that was really cool for me to hear a patient validating that, yes, emotional intelligence is so important, right? I you know, I talk about it with students and residents and doctors, and there's always literature about it and does really make a difference. But you know, to hear a patient say, yes, it does make a difference. And the patient just impromptu on the spot 
say that it, it, that's what makes her doctor special. That was really important for me to hear and validate that. Yeah, it is, it is so important for us to teach the skill to residents and students and physicians to practice it because it makes a huge difference from the patient perspective as well. That's awesome. That's a great experience. So aside from introducing the idea to students, how do you, or to trainees, how do you encourage someone to, to develop their own emotional intelligence? Yeah, you know, I think part of the process is uh, maybe taking a self-assessment and getting, uh, being aware of where you are with your emotional intelligence. And again, mm -hmm. through these validated tools that, that are available uh, that cost money and, you know, you have to pay to take it and then get a report and you can get a full report of your emotional intelligence level and your strengths and weaknesses and where to improve. So I think the first step is maybe taking a self-assessment and get an understanding of where you are in those four components of emotional intelligence or other aspects of emotional intelligence to really know where your strengths are so that if you can really play off your strengths so that will help your overall emotional intelligence level and then identifying maybe certain areas that you might be lower in and uh, can work on and then uh, actively trying to improve in those areas to improve your overall emotional intelligence. So I think that's part of the you know, part of the, the training process and then having uh, different educational sessions and training sessions. Um, and we've done some of that with our residents and shown that you can improve emotional intelligence by doing, going through a training session and, uh, you know, pre and post intervention uh, assessment and shown that it can be approved. So I think different educational sessions, training sessions, there's different books and uh, resources that are available to help improve someone's emotional intelligence. There's leadership consulting companies out there that you can hire a coach that can actually work with you and kind of observe you in the real world and give you feedback and help you develop your emotional intelligence. That obviously costs a little bit more, more money to have a coach actually uh, kind of follow you around and, and to really help you. But that's actually, you know, most effective because that's direct observation and somebody uh, who is giving you very timely feedback as you're interacting with others then. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have you send me a, li a list of a few of those links that people can look into to see if they want to take any of those assessments and get a good starting point. We'll have to list yeah. those uh, in our episode description. It sounds like it's a lot of self-reflection. And is there, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it would be helpful for someone who's wanting to improve their EQ to have a way to like build that reflection into their daily routine? Or is there anything that you would encourage someone to do on a regular basis that they can, they can just keep up this practice? Yeah, I, I think you make a great point that it is a lot of self-reflection. So it's, um, you know, after you interact with someone, it's going back and thinking about how did that interaction go? Did it go the way you wanted it? Did you get the outcome you were hoping for? Did you get the result you were, uh, you know, uh, wanting in your conversation, your interaction, your patient encounter, or whatever it might be? And then if it went well, great. Then you try to analyze, you know, why did it go well? You know, what was the thing that uh, allowed it to, to go the way you wanted it? And if it didn't go that well, then reflecting on, you know, what happened? Why didn't it go that well? What, you know, what happened with um, the breakdown of communication or, or what was the issue that prevented it from going that going as well? So then you can improve it. You can learn from it. You can reflect on it um, and maybe change something uh, in your upcoming interaction with the, with the next person. Got it. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, the application of emotional intelligence skills in the healthcare setting or as a physician. Um, it seems like it's really important to develop your own skills, but what, what do you do in a situation where someone that you're working with or the patient that you're working with doesn't have those good communication skills? Is there anything that, that you would give as advice to, to help support uh, people you're working with who don't have these good skills? You know, I, I think that's, um, as a medical educator, I think that's something that I'm always uh, kind of looking out for, trying to, to help learners that I'm interacting with. And I think the, the best thing is to 
when you observe some sort of interaction that uh, that you pick up on based on body language and nonverbal cues that the other person was kind of uh, getting upset or frustrated or um, felt disrespected, then uh, then it's taking that person to the side and trying to you know as an outside observer trying to give some feedback and say you know that choice of words that you that you chose maybe came across a little bit differently that you had intended or that the way you were posturing and folding your arms or the nonverbal cues you were giving off, you know, made that person feel a little bit uncomfortable. So you just want to be kind of aware of that so that you can uh, improve in the, uh, you know, in, in your future uh, interactions. So much of it is, uh, is about perception because I think, you know, all of us in healthcare, you know, in general, we're not malicious people, but somehow, somehow an interaction doesn't go well and it comes across very different than you had intended. And I think to be able to reflect on that and to learn from that, to have an outside person maybe uh, help you with uh, that and understand, you know, why you were perceived that way and that perception was very different than what you had intended. The message that you gave through your body language and your nonverbal cues or your tone of voice or your choice of words had a very different impact that, that you were hoping for. But I think that's all part of emotional intelligence. So I think having uh, someone be able to observe that or to give feedback about that, I think can be very important in developing the skill. Yeah, that sounds like that'd be a really awesome thing to have someone in like the clinical education setting do for you as a trainee. It seems like it's part of these skills that we don't necessarily learn uh, as well as we should in the first couple of years of medical school. And then you get to your third or your fourth year and you start having these interactions and no one really taught you how to how to talk and have these conversations. And I think it could be really helpful to have someone like you said, as kind of a bystander observing you and, and giving you that feedback. Is that something that you would encourage to have built into medical education or residency curriculum? Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be a, a great educational tool. And I think that's all part of kind of like the direct observation, you know, how we observe a student taking a history or doing an exam, um, but not just focusing on the history portion or the exam portion, but also the communication and the bedside manner and the rapport and, uh, and the interaction that they're having and have somebody be able to give some feedback about that. I think can be very helpful as well because patients know their doctor has a nice high level of emotional intelligence. They might not, they might not call it emotional intelligence, but they'll probably refer to it as excellent bedside manner or a great rapport or you know I really trust my doctor. I have a great relationship with my doctor. And there's studies that show that doctors that have higher levels of VI have better rapport with their patients, have more trusting relationships with their patients, and their patients actually are more compliant and more adherent to the recommendations of the doctor. And also the patient satisfaction scores uh, that doctors get from their patients tend to be higher when uh, you have a higher uh, level of emotional intelligence as the physician. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway for uh, clinical educators to keep in mind that that's something that that trainees need feedback on. It's not something that we always talk about, I think, or as a trainee to be able to ask for that sort of feedback, to ask about um, ask about feedback directly on your interactions in that way. I think that can be really helpful. I just came off of a palliative care elective rotation, and for the, that was one of the first rotations I've been in where I had people just commenting, not really on what I said, but how I said it and, and how I'm interacting with patients. And we talked a lot about how do you have difficult conversations or serious conversations and what sort of skills do you need in order to, to communicate well and form a, a team with your patient. And yeah, it was really helpful. So I, I think that's a great takeaway. Yeah. And part of, you know, part of it is uh, components of emotional intelligence, like empathy and other skills, like just being able to listen to your patients. Mm-hmm. I think these are some of the skills that, uh, that we need to be starting to teach earlier uh, in the medical education process. And I think direct observation and feedback about, you know, well, you know, you were, the patient was starting to tell their story 
and you you started off listening, but then you kind of cut them off or you kind of interrupted them. And we know that, you know, on average, most studies show that doctors take, I think on average, 18 seconds before they cut off their patient and mm-hmm. as they try to tell their story. So we think we're good listeners, but we're actually not very good at listening to our patients. Um, and, that, and that's actually a very important part of emotional intelligence and the ability to develop a rapport with your patients then. So you mentioned empathy. Is there a difference between empathy and emotional intelligence? Is it part of emotional intelligence? Yeah. So, so most people consider empathy as part of emotional intelligence uh, under the social awareness component of it, um, where you basically are able to pick up on the nonverbal cues and body language of the other person. You put yourself in their shoes and kind of see their perspective and, you know, see it, uh, you know, from, from their side. Um, and be, uh, be able to, to empathize with them. So that actually is part of emotional intelligence. So I think having empathy, I think is, uh, is important and it's considered basically a part of emotional intelligence among other, other aspects of it uh, as well. In the beginning of the year, we read an article about professionality and physician burnout. Um, would you be able to touch on how emotional intelligence is impacted by physician and student burnout? And if you've seen it personally in your experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely uh, physician burnout and burnout at the resident level, the student level is definitely something that we have to be aware of and we need to do more to, to help combat it. Um, and emotional intelligence is a skill that can help prevent burnout and can help promote resilience. Um, and that's uh, a lot more literature now is coming out showing, uh, showing that. So I think teaching emotional intelligence skills not only is important from a, a professionalism perspective and communication perspective and uh, building relationship with your patient perspective, but I think it's a very important skill to help uh, prevent uh, burnout. And again, self-awareness and self-management is so important um, as emotional intelligence skills related to uh, preventing burnout because again, if you are aware of the fact that you are expending a lot of energy, you're, you're going through a stressful situation, you're aware of the fact that you went through an emotionally charged uh, situation, I know that you're uh, draining a lot of energy and you have that awareness, then the next step is to be able to manage it. And then managing it means that you do something to replenish that energy. You do something to energize yourself and restore some of the energy that you lost uh, in that you know, emotionally charged, stressful situation. A lot of times we don't even give ourselves a chance to decompress. We don't give ourselves a chance to understand and recognize and be aware of the fact that, wow, I just had a, a terrible day that was just so draining. It was so stressful. And then we just move on to something else. It's so important to be aware of it. And wow, you know what? I'm, 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 I was just super stressed out. I just went through that right now. Let me take a moment to decompress. Let me take a moment to do something, some sort of meditation, some, some mindfulness activity, something that is going to allow me to decompress and to recover a little bit from that stressful situation. Emotional intelligence skills allow you to be able to do that. So I think it is a very important component of uh, preventing burnout and uh, promoting resilience. And now there's a lot more literature starting to suggest that now as well. So I think uh, you know we'll end up seeing a lot more with that. And I think that's a very, very important aspect that we have to focus on now as well. Yeah, I see that as kind of one of the most important parts of this. It seems like you're going beyond empathy. Empathy is just one part of it. And that's kind of how you relate to people outwardly. But all, emotional intelligence can also really be about yourself and, and recognizing and dealing with your own emotions. Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a great point because so emotional intelligence is outward as far as like, how do you interact with others, right? So you're going to be kind and courteous and respectful and forgiving and, you know, what interact with others that way. But I like to think about it as self-directed emotional intelligence. So you need to be kind to yourself, right? When something goes wrong, you need to give yourself a break and don't be so hard on, on yourself, right? We are so 
negative on ourselves, right? All of us going, you know, uh, in medical school and type A personality and, you know, all that, we're just so perfectionist that we are so hard on ourselves. So we need to learn to be kind to ourselves, right? So emotional intelligence, you're kind to others when you interact, when you interact with others, but we need to direct that kindness to ourselves. We need to be forgiving, right? So you're forgiving of someone else when, you know, something doesn't go well, you're, you're, you're patient with them, you're forgiving. To learn to forgive ourselves when something doesn't go well, or instead of feeling guilty and you know shame of what happened, learn from it, move on from it, forgive ourselves. And part of emotional intelligence again is when you're interacting with others, you respect others and you value their contribution to the team, and you you praise the, what they've done, you give credit for what they've done. We need to do that for ourselves, right? We need to value the contribution that we made to the team. We need to respect the uh, the things that we are doing, you know, for ourselves and for the team and for our patients. And we don't, we don't do enough of that. I think that adds to burnout because we're not, we're not uh, giving ourselves, you know, the praise and the credit that, that we should. Um, and we're not forgiving of ourselves. We're not kind to ourselves. Uh, we don't celebrate victories when something goes well. We need to celebrate that for ourselves and, and, and treat ourselves when we got through a, a rough day. Um, again, part of emotional intelligence is, you know, the team did a great job. So the next day you bring a box of donuts to celebrate with the team, right? Some for yourself as well. You got through that rough day, you know, take a moment for yourself and get some ice cream for yourself or, you know, go, you know, get a massage or do something. Right. So I think self-directed emotional intelligence is, is also very important to help uh, prevent uh, burnout as well. I don't think we teach that enough. I don't think we make enough conversation about that. Um, and I think that's such an important aspect that I think we need to learn about and, and do more with. I love it. I'm always down for celebratory ice cream or any, <laughs> any sort of right, ice yeah. cream. I think, I mean, you're, what you're saying is so important. Resiliency and, and burnout are things that you hear about a lot, but it's for good reason. These are things that nobody can ignore. Everyone needs to be actively working on, especially in this field. It's, it's just really important for us to think about. And I think thinking about it in this, uh, this realm of emotional intelligence can be a really helpful framework. So on the topic of emotional intelligence and resilience and burnout, there is the Yerkes-Dodson curve that pretty much describes how our stress levels are on a spectrum and our peak performance is right at the center of that. And if we go on either end, it could become unhealthy for us. So can you please explain how emotional intelligence can kind of keep us at that peak performance? Yeah, great. So yeah, so the Yerkes-Dodson curve so that was uh, um, two psychologists that uh, published a study back in 1908. So it's been around for over 100 years. And basically that curve, basically uh, on the uh, x-axis has stress level and on the y-axis uh, has performance. And the idea is that we all have an optimal level of stress that we function best at. So we need some stress to be able to motivate us and to encourage us and to, you know, to start performing optimally. So if we have too little stress, then we're bored and we're not motivated. So we don't perform. So uh, so we need some stress. Um, and then when we're at a peak level of stress, that then we or an optimal level of stress, then we are performing at our peak. But then when you uh, go beyond that on the x-axis, as you go further on and you get into stress overload, that's when your performance starts to come down. You get to be you get fatigued and exhausted and are at risk for for burning out. Um, so again, we have this optimal zone of uh, stress that we uh, can obtain peak performance. And I like to think of emotional intelligence and resilience as um, kind of shifting the curve to the right, meaning that, you know, in the middle of the curve is our, is our peak performance. Um, and uh, that's our optimal level of stress. And if we went uh, further on the x-axis, our performance would come down. So emotional intelligence uh, basically allows us to, again, respond to stress in, a, in an effective way. And there's studies that show that when you have higher emotional intelligence levels, you are responding to stress in a more healthy way, in a more adaptive way, 
and in a more in a way that's more resilient. And when you lack emotional intelligence skills, you respond to stress in a, in a non-productive way, where again you get stressed out, you get anxious, and then you don't respond to that stress in an effective way, and that leads to more exhaustion and anxiety and, and potentially burning out. So emotional intelligence adds to resilience in that way. Um, and emotional intelligence, uh, again, allows us to respond to stress in a more effective way then. So, uh, and there's studies, that, again, that show that improving emotional intelligence can improve resilience and improving resilience, therefore, prevents burnout. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me a lot. Growing up, my parents would always tell me, if you don't care for yourself, you can't care for others. And I think that's incredibly important to give attention to starting from a pre-medicine um, education level. So I thought that was really great. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that, you know, we, we want to care for our patients, but we can't care for our patients unless we care for ourselves first, right? We have to be well first before we can make our patients well. Um, so if we want to provide effective care for our patients, we have to make sure that we are caring for ourselves. So basically providing self-care and self-awareness. Part of emotional intelligence, being aware when you have to take care of yourself, being aware when you are starting to get burnt out and stepping back so that then you can do some self-care activities to prevent uh, uh, further burnout. So again, that skill of self-awareness as part of emotional intelligence, I think is so essential in uh, being able to uh, uh, develop resilience and preventing burning out. Yeah, absolutely. And medical school journey is hard. And sometimes I feel like we may lose sight of why we wanted to do this in the first place. So it sounds like emotional intelligence can help us cling on to that humanity of ourselves and others so that we can care for ourselves and thus our patients. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, like I said, you lose sight of what the ultimate goal is. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you frankly, you forget about the meaning of being a physician and practicing medicine, right? You lose sight of that because you're so bombarded with all these other factors. And again, uh, you know, emotional intelligence through that self-awareness and that self-reflection kind of reminds you of, of the meaning, you know, why are you doing this, right? What's the meaning behind what you're doing? Sometimes we need to pause and we need to reflect and we need to, again, develop that self-reflection and self-awareness and reassess, you know, where are we at and what is the meaning of what we're doing and uh, making sure making sure we're doing it uh, for, for the right reasons. And again, that's important from a resilience perspective and a burnout perspective and make sure you don't lose sight of the meaning of what you're doing uh, as a student or as a resident or as a practicing physician, because sometimes, you know, we, we, we lose sight of that. It's really difficult, but important thing to do. So I just want to thank you for your time and, and being here and sharing your expertise with us on this topic. And I think we can all use this as a reminder to continue to reflect and continue to, like you said, focus on ourselves so that we can better care for other people. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about this and to share my thoughts and experience about this topic. Yeah, you're welcome. We're glad to have you. All right, great. Take care, guys. Thanks, you too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.